Welcome inside the igloo. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Tim Best. This weekend for all of us in the basketball world was a really, really hard one. As all of us mourn the unexpected and tragic loss of one of the sport's greatest ambassadors, players, and icons that we've ever seen. Kobe Bryant passing away at the age of just 41. It's definitely rocked all of us, including me. And I will have more on that for my icebreaker coming up later on in the show. And I processing this really is the reason why this show is coming out so late. I was going to do it on Monday originally, but... With the news of Kobe's passing, I just, I couldn't do an immediate reaction right away. I needed to take a step back, process all of my thoughts so that I could better communicate them and really find the right words to show what Kobe meant, at least to me, and what he's meant to this generation of college basketball stars, including Two in the Big East who are making a pretty strong argument and possibly two of the strongest horses in the race for National Player of the Year, not just in the Big East for Player of the Year in that conference as well. So where do we begin for last weekend? Let's talk about what happened Friday night. Marquette visiting 13th-ranked Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse. The Bulldogs coming in losers of three in a row. The Golden Eagles winners. Golden Eagles winners of three in a row. And early on, Marcus Howard had it going on as as was expected. I mean, he had been playing really well during this three-game win streak, and he was just lighting up the Butler defense in the first half. Butler didn't really have a solution to stop him. And that led the Golden Eagles to taking a pretty solid halftime lead. But the Bulldogs just found a way to keep fighting. I think they tapped into a really strong side of them defensively. Getting back to the basics that had made them so successful early on in the year when they won 15 of their first 16 games before this losing streak started. Again, Marquette led 39-35 at halftime. And Marcus Howard, again, he just had it going on early on. But in the second half, though, you know, Marquette was building this lead, and for some reason, they just let up. I don't know why they did. And that allowed for the other major senior star in this game, Kamar Baldwin, to step up big time. And keep in mind, Butler was playing without Aaron Thompson out due to an illness. And then you also got to keep in mind, Christian David's out for the rest of the year since he tore his ACL at Villanova last week. So he missed, so he got both of those guys out. So that's got to leave room for Kamar Baldwin to step up. And boy, did he. I mean, he made so many big plays down the stretch to get Butler back in the ball game and then back in the lead 
And then the next thing you know, Butler's got a three-point lead. It's 71-68 to with time running out. And credit Wojo for being genius, for using Marcus Howard as a decoy and letting Kobe McEwen take it up the floor. McEwen, I don't know why, but Butler basically let him walk right into a three. Had the momentum, dribbled right up, found his spot, pulled up, and drained it. And it was a bomb, too. That set this game into overtime, and in overtime, it was all Kamar Baldwin. And you know what's even worse? Kamar Baldwin showed up in overtime. Marcus Howard didn't. And you want to take a look at what happened in OT? Kamar Baldwin, just looking at the scoring. Baldwin made a jumper. Sean McDermott layup. Brendan Bailey, three. Two free throws for Baldwin. Theo John somehow made two free throws. And then Baldwin hit another big jumper. And got the foul, which got Brendan Bailey out of the game. So Baldwin finishes the three-point play. And then Marcus Howard missed several big shots in overtime. And you know who led him back into the game? Kobe McEwen and Sakar Annam. No sign of Marcus Howard. And Marcus Howard, during that overtime, he missed everything. He was not... He wasn't taking good shots, and as a result, he wasn't making them. And I said this on Twitter. Marcus Howard lost this game for Marquette. Because he knew where the hot hands were, and he still took it upon himself to try to be the hero late. When it was obvious that... As good as he was in the first half, second half in overtime wasn't his time to shine. That's when guys like McEwen and Anum stepped up and they got hot. And yet Marcus Howard just completely ignored it, in my opinion. And Kamar Baldwin basically showed him up in overtime. He owned him in overtime. But, I mean, that's just what Kamar Baldwin does. Kamar Baldwin's got the clutch gene. Marcus Howard doesn't. Think about some of the other big shots that Marquette's hit in recent years. I mean, talk about last year, the game. I know Marcus Howard dropped 53 against Creighton in in a game that went to overtime, but that game wouldn't have gone to overtime if it wasn't for Sam Hauser. Not Marcus Howard. Sam Hauser was the one that hit the game, the game tying three-pointer as time expired to send the game in overtime. Again, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying the facts, okay? And Marquette's going to get in these close games quite a bit throughout the rest of the year. Because that's just how the Big East is. And chances are they're probably going to get another dogfight with Xavier on Wednesday night in Cincinnati. And all more on that later on. Meanwhile, the rest of the weekend, Villanova got a big road win at Providence, 64-60. to I mean, that, you know how it can be at the dunk when these two teams show, uh, when these two teams go to war. It was a defensive battle last year, 65-59. This year, 64-60. to And keep in mind for Providence, they were missing Greg Gant due to 
an illness. So in his place, A.J. Reeves gets the start. And for Providence, um, a big reason why they lost, honestly, was the lack of production from Alpha Diallo. I mean, the senior All-Big East team guy, their leader and their star, he just, it just wasn't his day. Laid up a goose egg, shot 0 of 6 from the field, 0 of 3 from behind the arc, only grabbed 4 rebounds. Leading the way for Providence, though, Nate Watson. I mean, by far their best big guy. 18 points, 9 rebounds, so he's only a rebound shy of a double-double. Lawan Pipkins, who got relegated to the bench in favor of Malik White, he kind of stepped up in that role. 25 minutes, 11 points. And then the only other friar in double figures was David Duke. He had a double-double, 11 points, 10 rebounds, but again, 4 of 16 from the field. He struggled. I mean, just a slow week for him after dropping 36 the previous weekend at Creighton. As for the Wildcats, four four of them in double figures. Sadiq Bay with 13. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was huge in this game. Five of eight shooting, 17 points, including seven of eight for the charity stripe. Colin Gillespie led the way with 18 on five of 10 shooting. And then Justin Moore off the bench chipped in 10. And, you know, Villanova just made the big plays when they needed to, man. Like, Jeremiah Robinson Earl had that big dunk that kind of put the icing on the cake for this Villanova victory to get them to 6-1 and one in the Big East, 16-3 and three overall. And that bumped them up ahead of Duke. They leapfrog him in the AP poll, so now it's Nova at number 8, Duke down to number 9. And in somewhat of a shocking result, how about St. John's going into Chicago and beating DePaul by 13? And this was a tie game at halftime, folks. It was 34 apiece. And St. John's just turned it up in the second half. They were led by LJ Figueroa. Game high, 28 points on 9 of 16 shooting. Also knocked down seven threes. Now, I know he fouled out, but what an unbelievable effort by the junior from Lawrence Mass. Their other go-to guy in that one-two punch, Mustafa Heron, also had a great night. 20 points, four three-pointers made, 5 of 12 from the field. Rasheem Dunn chipped in 13. And then off the bench, you had four guys scoring off the bench. You had eight from Julian Champagny, three from Sears, two from Erlington, and five from Greg Williams. And as for DePaul, I mean... It just wasn't their day. I mean, Charlie Moore, 20 points. He played all 40 minutes, but just shot 5 of 15 from the field. Also chipped in 7 boards, 5 assists. Jalen Coleman-Lance with 15 points. Same with Paul Reed. He also had a a double-double as he grabbed 12 rebounds. But, again, St. John's finishing off the sweep. Of the DePaul Blue Demons, 79-66. That drops DePaul down to dead last in the Big East at 1-6. Meanwhile, St. John's, that was their second Big East win. Again, both of them have been against DePaul. 
And then the all-access game on Sunday. Xavier at Creighton. Creighton going for the season sweep, and that they got. As the Blue Jays win by nearly the exact same score they had won in Cincinnati with. 77-65 in that game, and on Omaha in the rematch, 77-66. to Again, no Quentin Gooden for the Musketeers for the second game in a row. Zach Fremantle getting the start, led the way with 18 points. Najee Marshall with 15 for the Musketeers. Tyree Jones with 11 and 13 boards. Paul Scruggs struggled. 7 points, 10 rebounds, 2 of 8 from the field. Just not a great afternoon for the junior from Indy. Meanwhile, for the Blue Jays, I mean, they let it fly. 11 of 29 from three-point land. 23 of 51 from the field. So inside the arc, they were over 50%. Tyshawn Alexander led the way 24 points. Zigorowski with 15. And then Balak and Mahoney each with 14. So with Xavier, they fall to 2-5 and five in the Big East. Creighton's now up to 5-3, and three, which is... Good for sole possession of third in the conference. Behind only Villanova and Seton Hall. And interesting thing that Xavier head coach Travis Steele said in the locker room after the game. That was caught on all access on FS1. Was I just, we I can't be given the same speech over and over and over again. We just, we have to fix a lot of things if we want to get back on track. And we know we got Marquette back at our place. And that loss to Marquette was the the major focal point of this skid that Xavier's been on so far. And and by far the worst loss during this stretch. It was was a 20-point defeat in Milwaukee back on January 15th. They'll have the rematch on Wednesday night. In Milwaukee, uh, in Cincinnati, excuse me, as I kind of touched on earlier. And that is about as must win for Xavier as you could possibly get. You really need this one if you want any chance of making the NCAA tournament, really. Because after this, you're playing at Seton Hall on Saturday... And then after that, it's going to get a little bit easier because you go to DePaul on February 4th. And then a home game on a Saturday night against Providence. And then then it'll get a little more difficult because they go to Butler on the 12th of February before... Some before some time off when they go to MSG to take on St. John's for a Monday night matchup at the Garden. So that's the that's the weekend roundup with some interesting results to say the least. I mean, I got I think I got two of them wrong. I was two for four. Not the best weekend, but hey. Maybe my next few picks might work. I mean, there's four games coming up, two on Tuesday, one on and uh, two on Wednesday. So I'll have those picks coming up next right here on the Igloo. Don't go anywhere.
All right, moving on to your midweek preview. Again, a slate of two games each on Tuesday and Wednesday, the latter of which is going to be a doubleheader on FS1 back-to-back. So before we get to that, let's just talk about what's going to happen on Tuesday. An interesting weeknight game at the Garden, something that is not done too often. Uh, The last one actually was... Back in twenty during the 2017-18 season, it was an early January game where St. John's welcomed Georgetown and Patrick Ewing's return to the Garden as a head coach. So the Johnnies welcomed Villanova, who is red hot, winners of six straight, including five in conference. The Johnnies coming off a big road win at DePaul and... To me, they proved me wrong. They show that they could win on the road, but now that they're going to be holding serve at home in the garden, a place where they can play pretty well, but now you welcome Villanova. I mean, this isn't West Virginia. I mean, granted, West Virginia is, you know, good now, but back in December, I mean, it was question. I mean, they were still trying to find their footing before they got as good as they are now. Now, I mean, they played well, even even in a loss against Seton Hall, they played really well. So I'm expecting them to play really well in this game against Villanova. But like the Seton Hall game, I just don't think it's going to be enough because Nova just has just too much firepower to... I I think it's going to overwhelm St. John because you have... Such a strong group led by Colin Gillespie and the supporting... I mean, granted, he's not the superstar on this team. I don't think this team has a superstar. They just have a bunch of well-rounded players who play as a unit. And that's just what Villanova basketball is. And I think they're going to remember that loss that they took in the Garden last year where they had a huge lead early on and they blew it. And I think that's going to motivate them in this scenario. And I and I'm going to take Nova on the road. It's going to be a it's but it's going to be a battle though. It's going to be real tight. And because that's just how this game always is when it's played in the world's most famous arena. That's how it's been the last few years. Now I'm expecting the same here again on Tuesday on FS1. Meanwhile, Butler and Georgetown, interesting battle in DC. La Jolla's had the weekend off along with Seton Hall. So now they welcome number 16 Butler to town. And the Bulldogs finally got back on track after that huge win on Friday night over Marquette where Kamar Baldwin just had a monster game in the second half in overtime. Meanwhile, for Georgetown... Ever since they won uh, their first conference game of the year against St. John's back on January 8th, which honestly, it feels like an eternity ago. I mean, but it's only been three weeks. Since then, the Hoyas... uh, Since then, the Hoyas have kind of struggled. They've lost... 
if I'm not mistaken, if I if I'm doing the math right, and I'm sorry, I'm like not really like zoned in or anything, but they've lost three of their last four since crushing St. John's by 21 at home. Meanwhile, for Butler, again, they had a three-game losing streak after winning their first three conference games. And that ended with a win against Marquette. And I think Butler's going to keep that momentum going against the Hoyas. I think with Aaron Thompson hopefully coming back for this one, his status is currently unknown. Like, I mean, it's we don't know. I mean, we don't know if he's going to play or not. Or at least I don't know if he's going to play or not. And I blame myself for not checking as often. But even without him, I think they're going to find a way to win this game. But if they... But if they do have him back for this one, then that's obviously going to help their cause. And... One thing I did forget to mention earlier, Henry Badley had a huge game off the bench with 10 points in that victory. He, I mean, he was an X-factor. He wasn't the biggest reason why they won, but he was a pretty damn important reason. And I think he's going to continue that momentum in this game on, on Tuesday night. It's going to be a late one, though, 9 o'clock on CBS Sports Network, but I'm going to take the dogs. And shockingly, they're, they're, they're an underdog in this game, shockingly. I mean, for me, that's easy money to take on Butler. Now, Seton Hall back in action, still number 10 in the country, welcoming the DePaul Blue Demons who have, after upsetting Butler at home, they lost back-to-back games by combined 28 points on their home floor to Creighton and St. John's. Pirates looking for the season sweep, and and a season sweep is what they're going to get. And there is a chance that Mamu plays in this game. His first game since December the 8th, the night where he fell and broke his right wrist. Thankfully, that was his non-shooting hand. But I'll tell you what, it will affect his shot if and when he comes back. And there's a chance that could be Wednesday night. But all signs point to him coming back on the first of Saturday, uh, on the first a February Saturday morning game against Xavier. That's at 11 a.m. If you're in the Newark area, hope you're hope you're fully awake for that one. Should be an electric atmosphere with the Rock. You know, fully sold out. You're gonna have the top open with that. I'm guessing right around 13,000. That's my guess, and it's gonna be even more exciting with Mamu most likely coming back for that one. But there is somewhat of a chance that he'll play Wednesday night against DePaul. But I think just to be safe, I'd ease him into the Xavier game. Just give him a little more time to recover. But the rumor is that he's going to be dressed for it. But uncertain whether he'll play or not. Either way, I'm taking the Pirates. Really like the way they've been playing. And with full rest, I really like... I, I mean, it's just, I mean, I can't not pick them, really. It would it would have taken a lot for me to not pick them. I mean, the way they've been playing, they've been sharp, and simply put, 
DePaul nor any team in the Big East really has not found the answer for Romero Gill yet. Because not only, I mean, everyone knows about how good he is defensively, but now he's great offensively. What are you going to do now? DePaul hasn't found a solution. Nobody else has in the Big East. I'm really intrigued to see who's going to be the team that figures him out. Essentially, like, who's going to come up with the Jordan rules for Romero Gill? Essentially, the Gill rules. But anyways, finally, Marquette and Xavier from the Cintas Center. That'll be the nightcap of the doubleheader on FS1. Again, DePaul Seton Hall, 6.30. Marquette, Xavier at 8.30. Now, I was wrong picking Marquette at Butler. I mean, I felt really good about it. And it it was looking good up until they kind of let the game slip out of their hands. But now you got a Xavier team that's really looking for a must win. I mean, they absolutely have to have that. If they want any chance of making the tournament. That's just me being brutally honest. I mean, right now the Golden Eagles are solidly in. But they do need that good quality road win in in the Big East. Because right now with their 4-4 Big East record. The only win that they have so far in Big East play on the road was against Georgetown. Which isn't a glimmering win. It's a good win. It's a good road win, but it's not a great road win, you know? And their road losses, Butler, Creighton, and Seton Hall. But their home wins, Villanova, Xavier, and St. John's. But they lost at home to Providence, which isn't so sexy now. Considering that Providence is now in a three-game skid after winning four of their first five Big East games after a dreaded non-conference start. A dreadful non-conference start, I should say, at seven and six. But you know what? I don't know why. I'm picking Marquette again. I mean, the way that they looked against Xavier, they just looked like a matchup nightmare. And without Quentin Gooden, it's just not in the cards for Xavier to win this ballgame. And even though Quentin Gooden had struggled the previous three games before he went out, honestly, his senior leadership is kind of important to this team. Not just kind of, really important. Because as a freshman, and I mentioned this before, he was the point guard on a team after Edmund Sumner tore his ACL that, yeah, they might have slipped, tripped up quite a bit. They went on a six-game losing streak in conference play before they finally ended the regular season with a win at DePaul. And then in the biggest tournament as a seventh seed, they beat DePaul and then upset Butler, who was the two-seed, and took Creighton to the limit before getting bounced in the semifinal round. And then, as an 11th seed in the NCAAs, they went all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to the eventual national runner-up from Gonzaga. I can tell you this much. Xavier is missing him. They're missing his leadership. And yes, they won without him against Georgetown, but can they beat a team like Creighton Without him, the answer was no to that question. 
Can they beat a team like Marquette without him? He's arguably their best perimeter defender. And without him to lock down Marcus Howard, I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. <laughs> I mean, it's just... I don't, I don't know how else to say it other than the brutally honest way that I put it. it. It This team misses his presence. This team needs Q back on the floor. They need a real point guard. Paul Scruggs ain't a point guard. He's a two guard. Hugh has been this team's point guard not really since day one, but for a really long time. I mean, it's been really three years of him being the point guard of this team. Because the first game he started at point guard was February 1st, 2017 against Seton Hall. And it was January 29th, 2017, which is gonna January 29th is the day of this game between Marquette and Xavier that Quentin Gooden was thrown into the fire after Edmund Sumner tore his ACL in the first half in Madison Square Garden against St. John's. And now without that leader on the court, without their real point guard, I think Xavier's just going to continue to falter. And that's why... In this situation, even though I was wrong picking a, picking Marquette against Butler, that's why I'm still sticking with my gut and going with the Golden Eagles over Xavier. So those are my picks for this. I finally got that icebreaker coming up again about Kobe Bryant and what he meant to me and what he's probably meant to, and I'm sorry for assuming this, but what he's meant to the most prominent college basketball stars of today, especially in the Big East. So don't go anywhere. That is coming up next right here on the Igloo. Well, I promised it at the beginning of the show and I promised it at the end of the last segment. It's time for a long-awaited and a just truly heartbreaking icebreaker. And obviously, it has to do with Kobe Bryant. And... Like I said earlier, it's completely rocked the basketball world and shaken it to its core. I mean, basketball fans everywhere and even people who don't really know the sport or follow it that religiously like some of us, like myself, do. I mean, Kobe was just such an influential figure in pop culture in the cities in which he grew up in and played in. I mean, the city of Philadelphia coming out of Lower Marion High School. And then obviously the city of Los Angeles where he poured his heart and soul into the Lakers for 20 years and continued to do so. And even in his second act in life, post-retirement, he was making a name for himself still. Building his brand, building the Mamba Academy. Winning an Oscar for an animated short called Dear Basketball, which, you know, in the wake of his death was just, it was a tearjerker, man. I, I almost cried. And I, and I said this on Facebook, you know, but 
celebrity deaths don't usually affect me that much. But this one just hit different. It felt like losing one of your family members. And for me, Kobe was someone who inspired me with his work ethic to do anything and everything to outwork the competition and be the best that I can be. And that was with everything between broadcasting in my journalism courses in intramural sports in terms of when I was running Bluebeard Army, making sure I was running the best student section in the entire Big East and one of the best in the entire country. And, you know, and when I was a sophomore in college, I watched Kobe's final game from the final tip to the final, from the opening tip to the final buzzer. And it was captivating, honestly. And I had the chance to watch that or the Warriors try to break the single season wins record and try to go for win number 73, which they did. And I, and I knew that was going to happen anyway. But you know what? Records are meant to be broken. But there's only one Kobe Bryant. And I knew that I was never going to be able to watch him play another basketball game competitively again after that. So for me, it was an easy decision. What was I going to do late on a Wednesday night? Keep in mind, it was a 10.30 tip-off. For me, it was easy. I wasn't going to watch the Warriors. I was getting sick of them by that point. And this is even before they got KD. I was going to watch Kobe in his curtain call. And I'm glad, I am damn glad that I decided to do that because he put in a masterpiece. Although it was ugly in the early minutes and didn't start off so well, the end was just a masterpiece. It was just a cinematic piece of perfection. What he did on the basketball court that night at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. I mean, even Alicia Keys said it at the Grammys that night on Sunday. We're in the house that Kobe built. It was the house that Kobe built. No doubt. And in his final game in his home, what he only, I mean, nothing for him because everyone knows his career high was 81 points. He did back in 2006 against the Raptors. I mean, that's still the stuff of legend. Still the second highest scoring output in a basketball in an NBA game ever, only behind the late great Will Chamberlain, who put in a hundred points back in 1962. But 2016, 60 points in his final game, and basically willing his team in a game where they knew it didn't matter. They knew they were gonna miss the playoffs. Kobe didn't give a shit. He wanted to win. That's the Mamba mentality that he embodied for 20 years plus. If you date back even to high school. Even when he was a kid balling over in Italy where he was born and raised because that's where his dad, uh, Joe Bean Bryant, was playing. And the things he was doing were was were just incredible and you think about some of the other things that he did 
I mean, he tore his Achilles, and yet he still went out there and shot two free throws before exiting the game and missing the rest of the year with those torn Achilles. And that was just Kobe Bryant. That just showed how hard he wanted to work and how determined he was to be the best and leave that everlasting legacy. And he continued to do that even after we retired. You know, with his daughters and coaching his daughter who also died with him, Gianna. You know, he was making a real difference in the girls' basketball community. Uh, you know, with the Mamba Institute. with uh, Excuse me, Mamba Academy. And coaching at the girls' level. You know, and one of the greatest things I remember him saying was, being a father is my greatest accomplishment. Like, for a guy that currently sits after LeBron had passed him, now fourth on the NBA's all-time scoring list, being a five-time champion and an 18-time All-Star, it just goes to show, you know, that he obviously was well aware that there were things that were much bigger than the game of basketball, much bigger than him. And his family was that. And so many people grew up idolizing him and who grew up loving him and his game and his work ethic. And one guy that definitely did, Miles Powell. And a lot of people forget because, I mean, I don't know, it's just the Olympics and everyone just expects Team USA to win every time they go in. But Kobe's number when he played on Team USA was number 10. And you know what Miles Powell, you know what number Miles Powell wore when he represented Team USA in the Big East in the Pan Am games over the summer? Number 10. Why? For Kobe Bryant. He influenced so many of college basketball's bright stars as I illustrated with Miles Powell. I mean, with some guys and how they take their fadeaways, they emulated Kobe. He was such an influence on this current generation of college basketball players because, you know, they were just starting to play basketball when Kobe became the superstar that he did. I mean, granted, he was already a big-time player even when he was with Shaq, but when Shaq left, that's when Kobe became the Black Mamba. That's when he became a legit superstar and one that transcends an entire generation. Because of his heroics. Because of his work ethic. And because of the way he devoted himself to the game of basketball for his entire life, really. And even more so after he retired by contributing to the game at a much smaller scale. Because he knew those contributions would mean so much, not only to his daughters, but the entire community of 
girls and women's basketball as well because they he knew and respected the game at the women's and girls level and wanted to help it grow so that leagues like the WNBA and that collegiate women's basketball can continue to grow a strong fan base. And even though he's gone now, his legacy is going to live on. And that's still going to help the game grow, both obviously with the NBA and in college basketball. But it's going to help with the women's level as well. It's going to help elevate the status of you know the WNBA. It's going to help elevate the status of Division I women's college basketball because of the time and effort that he put into it. And for me, obviously, watching Kobe's final game will still always have a special place in my heart. And seeing the curtain calls for, you know, many stars during my time, I mean, I was just, it was a month into my first semester in college when I watched Derek Jeter's final home game at Yankee Stadium on TV and I cried. And watching Kobe, you know, go off for 60, get a send off as he, you know, checked out of the, you know, as he checked out, went to the scores table for the final time, then walked to the bench to a standing ovation. And then he gave his speech and ended it with the most Kobe way possible. Mamba out. (laughs) And that, that, that shit just hit me. It hit me hard. And I just broke down and cried, man. Like Kobe was, like an inspiration and a hero to me. He didn't, he, he didn't need to go. He didn't have to. He, it was just too soon for him to go. And sometimes, you know, we lose people way too soon because we knew everyone knows that he had so much more left to give. He was just getting started on his life post-pro basketball. And the last chapter in that chap in the last chapter in that book was going to be with him getting inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame this summer in Springfield, Massachusetts. And honestly, I was really looking forward to him giving his speech. And because of what happened over the weekend, now we're never going to see it. And and that really breaks my heart inside. And I can't even imagine how the rest of his daughters and his wife, Vanessa, are feeling now. How the entire city of Los Angeles is feeling right now. How his parents, who are still alive, feel right now. I mean, they're probably heartbroken to an even greater extent. Because that's their flesh and blood. But for all of us basketball fans, like Kobe was one of us. He was an inspiration and we all loved him. And I know I sure did. And I know even though he's gone now, he's still going to inspire me to just work hard and want more and strive for nothing but the best and to fulfill my entire potential. I hope that he can inspire all of you who listen to this to do the same as well. 
Thank you for tuning into the Igloo. I know this is a really hard episode for me to get through, trying to remember Kobe Bryant and everything he did and the great life that he lived. Even with the unfortunate controversy that happened with him in Denver back in 2003. But he still lived an amazing life because he was still able to put it in the back of his mind and push forward with the rest of his career as he did for the next 13 years. And even if you split his career into two parts, with number 8 and number 24, both of them would still be Hall of Famers. Hall of Fame player, but a Hall of Fame person too. So again, thank you for tuning in. I got another episode coming up as we conclude the month of January. I'll have that out on Friday. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that former Marquette guard Andrew Rousey, who now plays with the Lakeland Magic, in the G League, um, he will join me hopefully sometime this week. And I'll have, if that interview happens, I will have it up for you on the next episode coming up on Friday. So be on the lookout for that. So until then, this is Timmy I signing off. Thanks for tuning into the to, to this episode of the Igloo. Rest in peace to Kobe Bryant, the Black Mamba. Always in our hearts and memories forever. And I'll see you on Friday.